Well, while you're sitting down, let's turn to the book of 1 Corinthians in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And uh, we're going to be starting at verse 1. We're taking a break once again from our verse-by-verse study through the book of Romans to focus on loving each other, uh, being a caring community, which is the second of our third three most important values as a church. And as most of you know, we're going to be launching into a period of 40 days of love, learning about love, being in a small group together for six weeks in a row. And um, next week, we'll be reporting on our trip to Haiti. As most of you know, the church sponsors just about an annual missions trip, a medical mission trip to Haiti. We got back a week ago today, had an incredible time, and we can't wait to share it with you uh, uh, this next Sunday. But this week, the uh, week before we launch this 40 Days of Love, I'd like to begin by asking a question, one that I've been thinking about all this week, and that is this. How would you complete this sentence? My number one goal in life is blank. What, what word or what phrase would you use? What would you say your number one goal in life is? Is it to be happy? Or my, one, my number one goal is to be loved? Or is it maybe to succeed at your career? How would you answer it? My, one, my number one goal in life is comfort. Or to have fun. Or to retire early. Lots of luck on that one these days. Maybe that used to be your number one goal. Or to get married or to raise a family which is a great goal. My number one goal is to be well-known, maybe. To be popular. How would you answer it? It's a very important question. If you haven't already thought it through, you need to, because however you answer that question is what you might call uh, your dominant life principle. Everybody's got a dominant life principle. It's the, the most important value in your life. Now, we have a lot of values, and sometimes they go back and forth. But underneath, oftentimes, there's one that outshines the other. You may never have thought it through, but you use it every t- uh, all the time. Whenever you make a decision, every time you have a choice, you kind of access this database, you know, that we call our brain. And uh, what we decide we're going to do is usually based to some degree or shaded or whatever by our number one, our dominant life value. For instance, if it's to have fun underneath everything else, then this evening, if I get a couple of invitations, I'll probably choose the one that's funnest, the most fun to do, because that's what's most important to me. If my dominant life principle is comfort, then I'm going to tend to choose the easiest thing to do, maybe, or the most convenient thing. I, you know, I'd rather just stay home and lie on the couch and watch TV. Maybe a lot of people feel that way. But what's deepest in you? If your dominant life principle has to do with the great outdoors, well, then you're going to choose whatever out here. You fill in the blank. It's, it's extremely important that you think through what is your most important value in life. What does God have to say about this? Well, He has a lot to say about it. 1 Corinthians 14.1 In the Living Bible, He says, Let love be your greatest aim. The Bible's teaching is so often so simple. Clarifies a whole lot of stuff, but also so profound. Let love be your greatest aim. This keys off on the last verse of the chapter that comes just before chapter 14, where he says, the greatest of these is love. He's talking there about the cream of the cream of the, the Christian virtues, the three most important, faith, hope, and love, right? But the greatest of these, let love be your greatest aim. 
not status, not success, not possessions, not power or uh, privilege or prestige, not comfort, not money. Why does he say that? Make love the highest aim of your life. Because as John says, God is love. That's the root of who He is. And, and He wants us to be like Him. In fact, one day Jesus was walking down the road and a guy comes up to Him, as some of you know, and He said, Lord, what's the most important command in all the Bible? Can you, re- can you tell me what matters, what matters most? Out of all these Jewish laws, thousands and thousands of them, of all the things that are in the Bible, what should I really focus on? And Jesus said, I can do that. I can summarize the entire Bible uh, in two sentences. If you get these two things, you get it. You get what life is all about. Of course, it's called the Great Commandment. We've looked at it many times in all the Gospels. Mark 14.31, Jesus said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and all your mind and strength. And uh, love your neighbor as yourself. And then the next word, there are no commands more important than these. These are the cream of the cream of the cream. That's pretty clear. He said, uh, you know, nothing in the Bible, nothing at all is more important than these two things. Learn to love God with all your heart. And by the way, love your neighbor too. If you got get these two things again, you've got it. it. You understand what I put you on this planet to do. To learn how to love. Everything else, by comparison anyway, is just uh, frosting on the cake. Everything else is secondary. Make love your highest aim. If you go through all life, uh, it doesn't matter how much you acquire, or how much you achieve, or uh, how much you accomplish, or how many rewards, or how famous you become. None of that matters. One day you're going to stand before God, and He's going to say, did you learn to love me? That's why I sent my son, so that he could bring you to me and you'd love him and me. And did you learn, by the way, to love other people? Because that's what I put you on the earth to do. If you miss that, you know, anything else is the wrong answer. 1 Corinthians 16.14 says, Everything we do must be done in love. Question, what does that include? Well, it includes, I think, everything. Everything. Everything you do, everything you do must be done in love. I didn't say that. God did. It's an incredible generalization. What, you know, Lord, does that mean writing emails? Julie just saw an article about emails that it leaves out like 80% of real communication because 90% of communication is nonverbal, right? And there are, you get into so many misunderstandings there. You sound mad when you're not. But, uh, you know, when you feel like a, a, the desire to get something off your chest, it might be good to put something on, you know, your screen that says everything you do must be done in love. I've needed that on my screen once in a while. Does this include, you know, uh, fast food when you can't understand the speaker? Right? Yeah, everything you do must be done in love. Does this include, you know, finding a, a, getting a parking spot when three other people want it? It's so funny. We're so into exercise up here, but we get to Park Meadows Mall, and for some reason we gotta, you know, gotta park close to the store. It's gonna be too much effort to walk. Everything. Does it include being, you know, nice to the people who vote differently than you? 
Everything you do must be done with love. Does it include responding to people who attack you for your faith at work or whatever? Yeah, all the more with our enemies. Love your enemies. Do good to those who persecute you. Everything you do must be done in love. Love. What does it mean? Well, I thought it would be helpful today maybe to, to start, uh, to focus today on um, the definition of love. You know, we throw this word around so carelessly. I love hot dogs. You know, I love salsa. I love, I, I love Krispy Kreme. I love my wife. I love, you know, America. I love God, but hopefully not all in that order, right? So what does it mean to love? I, I know of a pastor who still has, I think it's Encyclopedia Britannica. Remember the days you got 24 volumes, nothing online or anything? So recently he went to his encyclopedia, I think it was Britannica, to look it up, and he discovered that in the 24-volume encyclopedia there was not a single article on love. In fact, if you looked up the word love, it referred you to two other words. It says, see emotion and sex. So he looked up the word emotion. In the article on emotion, it was a long, long article. It, it used the word love one time and never again. And so he looked up the word sex, three pages worth defining it in the encyclopedia. But there were just five mentions of love and no definition. So I guess we know a lot about those two things, but... What is love? A lot of things in the world today are called love stories, love songs, love poems, you know, when really they're not about love at all. They're about sex. There, a guy gets up and sings, you know, give it to me, give it to me. That's not love. That's actually a lust song. That's what most love songs are, either overtly or covertly. Not a love song. Lust can never wait to get. Love can, can hardly wait to give. Give me, give me, give me. So what is love? Well, the Bible, of course, has a lot to say about it. At least five things it says about love that gets at a definition, though, of course, you can't really define it. And the first and the most important thing is what I'd like to focus on today, and that is that we love because God first loved us. How do you define love? God is love. Simple, incredibly profound. That's a pretty good definition. All love comes from God. And we love because God first uh, loved us. First John 4, 7 and 8, it says, Love comes from God, for God is love. It doesn't say that God has love, right? It says God is love. The reason why God wants you to love is because He is love. It's His character. It's His very essence. And He wants us to be like Him. God is the source of all love. If He wasn't loving, there'd be no love in the universe. All love comes from God. For the beauty of the earth, for the glory of the skies, for the love that from our birth over and around us lies. Lord of all, to Thee we raise. This our hymn of grateful praise. You're all around us. You are love. All of these benefits. That's what makes us different. We can do it. We have the ability to love because we're in the image of God. It, it makes us different from the rocks, of course, and from the plants and from the animals. Animals do not love. They don't have the brain capacity for it. An ant, a bird, a cow, you know, whatever. They have affections. They have attractions. They have instincts, but they don't love. Now, I know some of you think your dogs love you. Should I go there or not? Up here is some... <laughs> I see some of you shaking your head. Well, you know, maybe they have affections, but I think you'd have to say they don't have love in the way human beings have the ability to do it. And God gave us that ability. You were made in His image so that you could do the two things you were put on earth to love, to do. Learn to love God 
and learn to love other people. Life is all about love. This, I know this is a very simple message, but we kind of lose track of the shattering and disarming simplicity of the truth. The Bible says in 1 John 4.19, we love because God first loved us. God always goes first in everything, right? As you'll see up there on the screen, that's Him loving first as He reach out, reaches out His finger to touch the limp, powerless, loveless hand of Adam. He takes the initiative. The only reason we can love or love God or anybody else is because God first loved us. And He showed that love, of course, by sending Christ uh, to die for us. He showed that love by creating us. He showed that love by everything you have in life. It's all a gift of His mercy. You know, m many believers in the church are, I, I found over the years are kind of down on themselves. They, they feel like Deep underneath, and I go through this too, that, that somehow you're not quite measuring up. And I'm not pleasing God. And God is always angry with me. They carry around this load of guilt, sometimes without even putting it to words. All the time, like a cloud. I, I've heard many people say something like, my problem is I guess I just don't love God enough. Well, I say, no, that's not quite it. Yeah, we need to work on our love. And we're going to see in the weeks to come how we do that. But your fundamental problem is not that you don't love God enough. Your problem is that you don't realize how much God loves you. That's why Paul says in Romans 12, he's, if you remember, he's got these 11 chapters of doctrine. 1 to 11. And then in 12, he transitions to all the application. And he said in chapter 13, love's the most important. But the transition phrase is this, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the what? Mercies of God. You've seen all His mercies. So as the overflow of your gratitude by, of connecting, making live contact with His mercies, out of your love for Him, everything else flows. My mother was all over this. And so many times she said, if you only realized how much God loves you with, such, with this extravagant, with this irresistible, with this unconditional love, you, 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 you'd have to love Him back, as many of you I know do. Which is what I'd like to see happen in your life for the next 40 days. The overflow. The day you finally fully understand how God loves you completely and how He loves you unconditionally, how you can't make Him stop loving you, when you feel that unconditional love, you're going to start, cut, you're going to start maybe cutting people a little more slack. Right? You're not going to be maybe uh, as angry as you were before. You're going to be maybe more forgiving. You're going to be more merciful. You're maybe going to give people some grace. Why? Well, so often the reason why we see people who are judgmental, people who are sarcastic, mean-spirited, the reason why you see people who are angry and you know self-righteous and always putting other people down is because deep down, it's not the only reason, but often fundamentally, deep down, they don't feel good about themselves. They don't feel loved. They don't feel forgiven. Grace. They feel guilty. They feel bad about themselves. And if I feel bad about myself, I certainly don't want you feeling good about yourself. Misery loves company, right? I'm going to bring you down to my level. So during the 40 days of love, we're going to have to do maybe some healing. 
some healing in your heart because you've been hurt in life. Everybody's been hurt in life. None of us have had perfect parents, right? And we've been hurt by them. We've been hurt by peers at school. Maybe you were bullied. Maybe you've been hurt by the professionals you, you work with. Or you've been uh, abused, maybe, as a child. Or misused. Or you've been rejected or abandoned. Or my- myriads of stories. All of us have some kind of story like that to tell. We're going to have to do some gentle, some, some gentle surgery on the heart. Because you can't love others until you feel loved yourself. We're going to have to come back to this several times in the next 40 days because you, you can't give to others what you haven't uh, received yourself. And the more you receive, the more you can give. You can't give to others what you don't possess. Unlovely people are so often unloved people. They're unlovely because they're unloved. Or at least that's what they feel. Hurt people. How does that go forwards? Hurt people hurt people, Right? It's like a tube of toothpaste. When you, when you squeeze a tube of toothpaste, what comes out? Well, whatever is inside. You, you have to learn how much God loves you and to know it on the inside and experience that and let it heal your heart so that it can flow through you. That's going to be happening. It, it's impossible to love others until you feel really loved yourself. And so during those 40 days of love, we're going to work on this. And Lord willing, we're going to experience it together through one another. Feeling the love, the transforming love that comes from God and that comes through His people incarnated through the body in a small group. First John 4.16 We know and rely on the love that God has for us. Which is what we're going to learn to do. You know, in a lot of ways, it doesn't matter how you define it. Other than saying, God is love. And there's where you get it, whatever it is. And it comes out. And from there, you don't need to define it. You, you just need to give it. It's like Amy Carmichael said. She was the, the missionary years ago to the totally unloved in India, to the untouchables and to the lepers. She said this, All our love flows from His heart of love. We have no true love in ourselves. We are like little pools on the rocks when the great sea washes over them and floods them until they overflow. That is what the love of God can do for us. We have no love in ourselves, and our pools would soon be empty if it were not for that great, glorious, exhaustless sea of love. My chief prayer is that your pools may be kept full to overflowing. And where that happens most powerfully is through love incarnate in the body of Christ and especially in the true community that we call small groups. And you'll be able to experience that for six weeks. And just what is that love? The overflow of which becomes your love? Let me close with this. It's from Alexander McLaren, who was a contemporary with Spurgeon, one of my favorite preachers. Listen carefully. There is no reason whatsoever for God's love except God's will. We love because of something in the object on which our love falls, either by kindred, that is family, or by their character, or by their physical beauty. God loves because He can't help it. God loves because He is God. 
Our love is drawn out, pulled out by the application of external causes. His love bursts out, self-originated, undeserved. It comes spontaneously, driven by its own fullness, welling up unasked, unprompted, unmerited, and therefore never to be turned away by our evil, never to be wearied by our indifference, never to be brushed aside by our negligence. It is the fixed, eternal, unalterable center of the divine nature. And the more we make live contact with His love, as we read about it in the Scriptures, as we experience it in the church and in small groups, the more uh, we'll never be turned away by their evil. Our love will never be wearied by their indifference for us, whether that be a spouse or a family member. More and more, our love will be never brushed aside by by their negligence. More and more, it will become the fixed, eternal center of our very being. It will center us and be like a flowing fountain through us. We can love only because He first loved us. And maybe not coincidentally, this Sunday is Communion Sunday. And He demonstrated His love for us in in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so let's celebrate that. The elements, when we take them into ourselves, stand for these spiritual realities that can come true by faith. So we'll have the ushers come forward. And we pray, Father, that now Your Holy Spirit would join us and that You would make these things real in our hearts. We thank You that that Christ loved us so much that He died for us. And that... No care compares to what we've been spared. And that we have nothing to prove, nothing to lose because of Your love for us. We pray that You root that in us now as we take of the bread that stands for the broken body. Father, we thank You that Christ's body was broken because of our sins, our wickedness. And I pray now, Father, that You would break our hearts that we would really see that we did not deserve any of it. That You'd help us to confess our sins, the things we've done this week. That You'd bring us to the bottom of our wretchedness so that Your grace will really mean something that we'll turn to when we take of the cup. And so we commit this part of the communion service to You to that end. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Paul said, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this as often as you eat it in remembrance of me. Father, we thank you that when we were broken first because of our sins, it opened us up so the love of God could be shed abroad in our hearts. And we pray now that you would do that, having broken us, that as we take of the cup, your love would be shed anew in our hearts by the power of your Spirit. Do that now, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.